I think it's fair to say that the world of delivering consultancy or training or facilitation has changed, right? The circumstances and conditions under which you or I do work for clients has changed post-COVID. So suddenly there's a lot to negotiate or even to renegotiate because maybe your client wants you to reduce your fee for training design. Maybe they want to change the scope of your contract or get you to work uh, more for less. Or perhaps they want you to do some work on restructuring your signature program to meet their specific conditions. So how do you feel about that? Or what do you do when you feel you need to have tough conversations and push back and make it clear that some things are negotiable, but others don't or aren't? And how do you stand your ground whilst being flexible so you maintain your dignity and, of course, above all, you keep the client relationship? Well, today's guest is Selena Rizvani. She is an expert in self-advocacy. She's been a contributor to the Washington Post. She's the creator of several best-selling courses on LinkedIn Learning, one of which is all about executive presence and self-advocacy. And she's also the author of a best-selling book called Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to another episode of the show. This is the weekly show for people in the sphere or world of training and development, learning and development. If you're a consultant, if you're a coach, if you're a facilitator or a trainer, if you work outside of the corporate sphere, you work for yourself with your own direct clients, or even if you work inside as a practitioner in the learning and development function of a corporation, a business, then I'd like to think that this is the show for you. And every Thursday, which is when episodes of the show are released on your favorite podcast platform of choice, we have either one-to-one -one episodes where it's just you and I riffing on some subject which is pertinent to what you and I do. And I emphasize that because I'm not someone just talking about this um, this is what I do every single day. I have my own direct clients. I do some work as an associate for some training and facilitation companies. So I'm very much in your shoes in the trenches. And it's for that reason that I have the kinds of subjects or the kinds of guests or the kinds of topics which speak to you and your training journey. Whatever it is that uh, you feel you need help with, I'd love to hear from you. And you can drop me a line personally to mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read all the emails and get back to you. And of course, many people who do contact me suggest guests and suggest topics or even suggest ideas that form the basis of episodes every single week on the podcast. So whatever it is for you, if it's something you feel you've learned or it's something you'd like to learn or some critique or feedback you would like to give me, I'd very much love to hear from you, and my email address one more time is mark at trainingbusiness.com. If this is your first time here, hopefully all of that made sense to you. If it's not your first time here, you will know by now the kinds of episodes that we have every single week, and that is my commitment to you to have an episode of 
the podcast every single Thursday, and you'll find episodes on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or something else. Now, before the music, I suggested or alluded to the fact that today we have a very interesting guest on the show. Her name, her name is Selena Rizvani. Her website is selenarizvani.com. If you've heard of her name before, it's perhaps because she is a best-selling course producer on LinkedIn Learning. That's the LinkedIn course platform of linkedin.com. And she also has written several books, one of which is Pushback, How Smart Women Ask and Stand Up for What They Want. Selena, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you. So you are a speaker, you're an author uh, several times, a columnist with the Washington Post. You have been. You're a facilitator, a course creator on LinkedIn Learning. We'll come to that uh, later on. Uh, You're also a leadership and inclusion consultant. So let me start there. What got you into facilitation and subsequently consulting? Well, you know, like a lot of good outcomes, it kind of started with pain, honestly. You know, my my own workplace experiences, um, here I was starting out as a young management consultant with a really huge appetite for leadership, um, big aspirations to move up, but I didn't feel like I belonged, you know. Uh, here I was advising leadership teams, and I was five foot two. That's very short, in case you uh, <laughs> don't measure that way. <laughs> uh, I have brown skin. I'm female. I was in my 20s when I started. You know, in so many ways, I looked the opposite of these leadership teams. And I got really good, Mark, at giving people the kind of watered down version of me. And of course, nobody won, right? I didn't get to share my best contributions and ideas, and they didn't get anything memorable from me. And and I realized I'm not the only person like this, you know, origamiing myself, shape-shifting into what I think people want me to be. And I realized, you know what? This is a conversation I can facilitate between leaders who want to really bring out the best in their people and talent, you know, who want to bring their full technicolor selves to work every day. And you described yourself when we first spoke as a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) How do you think that that personality trait affected how you dealt with clients in, in in a paid relationship where, you know, you want to deliver what they need? But you feel perhaps consciously or even subconsciously at their mercy, where you, you, you as you said, origaming yourself into being what they want you to be without being true to what you are and need to be. Yeah. Well, I really needed to examine that, that exact question. Um, and for me, it required me to go back to really even childhood messages that I accepted, you know, readily, Uh, you know, I grew up that you shouldn't take much more than you need. You know, you should really focus on relationships. Don't be too vocal or strident or um, too much of a taker. Well, guess what? You know, I carried that into adulthood and in work, it didn't serve me not in the corporate world and not as an entrepreneur either, because what that can often translate to is not having boundaries, 
you know, having no fences around what's most important to you or very little voice, right? It can look like having very little voice or say into what isn't working for you. And I found both of those things were happening when I was in people pleaser mode. But I learned um, a really exciting and kind of different mindset shift that allowed me to think about it in a different way. And and that's something I'd love to share with you. Yeah. So if we just make this relevant in the sense that um, you have been a consultant and for most people listening, and it's true for me too, we've been in situations where we find ourselves having to morph or having to, we've gone in, for example, saying, this is my program. This is my um, my practice. This is how I deliver workshops. Um, but now someone is making it clear, we want you to change. We want you to change how you do things. And you had, you had a story where you were uh, finding that someone wanted you to tailor content. And before you knew it, it was change after change after change. But you felt you had to push back and, and show how, you know, you weren't comfortable with, with these demands. Because that happens a lot to people in our field. It does. It does. And it's so relevant right now because a client or a senior person may want you to travel or return to the office, or um, they may be pounding the table for a certain program that you don't believe in, or you feel has no leadership buy-in. It can be scope creep. That's a really big one. You know, you promised one thing, you're being asked for 10 more. So there's so many uses here um, for ways we can use self-advocacy. Yeah, recently with my own client, we had contracted around one topical program and it felt like, you know, a cook in the kitchen, an experimental one who kept adding more seasonings (laughs) and ingredients, (laughs) but to the point where, you know, the final thing was kind of unrecognizable. And for me, it required really clear communication. You know, I'm no longer comfortable with the direction of the program. And if you, you know, require a different kind of facilitator, I respect that and will, you know, um, step aside for this program. So I think it was signaling the willingness to walk away and being ultra clear in plain English about, you know, exactly what's not working, not hinting, but truly um, being as clear as, as possible to surface issues and to do it quickly. Not, you know, 10 weeks from now, but really as soon as you see those flags. Yeah, that's a great point, Selena, is that often we see this coming. We kind of hope that'll be it. Uh, But as we give in or yield or bend, and there's nothing wrong with being flexible, but as, as we keep doing this, we're actually training them how to treat us. And then it comes to a point where people keep asking for more or make more demands or changing the scope or the deliverables. And before you know it, you wish you had actually intervened and said something beforehand much, much earlier in the process. This happens to us all. Yeah. Oh, it does. And so much of it, I love what you said about training others how to see you and treat you and think of you. And I think the beauty of this is it's not that you need to become a completely different person. Some of these are tiny behavioral changes. One that's really helped me is when a client is asking for the world, making a delineation with them and saying, okay, that's really interesting. Um, Why don't we call that phase two? 
I you like know, that. <laughs> you know, <It's> great. <laughs> creating that line in the sand for clients or um, that sounds great. Let me write up a, an invoice for X and we can get it started. It's a very different refrain than sure coming right up. But it took me a moment, um, uh, you know, weeks, uh, you know, a year to kind of crystallize that habit of, wait, I'm going to pivot here. I'm not just going to over-serve. What was the moment for you when you felt, this has to happen, otherwise my business will suffer. In fact, I will suffer as a person, as a provider, as a, a consultant. You know, I think for me, it was giving one client so much of, of the gold plate special, you know, as I call it, like so much over-servicing um, that it, it hurt our power dynamic, frankly. And, and you know, it, it stopped being what I think it should be, which is a, a respectful peer-to-peer relationship. And so I think when you over-serve, when you train people that you will do at any cost, at, you know, uh, any price uh, on any weekend day to serve their need, right, um, you know, you end up paying pretty dearly for that. And and I would challenge anybody that sees it a different way. Um, but that, that happened to me on a project. And I realized I have got to be dogged about plain language contracting and really strict policies on out-of-scope work. And that has served me tremendously um, to even plan that into my contracts. And is this all stemming from this concept you have written about which is self-advocacy. And I'll allow you to define that, you know, where we're dealing with people who have overt economic power or client power over us because they're the people with the money and we're the people who are providing the service. Yes, yes. And and this is what really helped me understand what great self-advocacy looks like. If you think about a continuum for a minute, on one side of self-advocacy, you have really aggressive, persistent, domineering types. And, you know, we all usually know when we're in the room with this person because <laughs> um, they really make clear what they want. And it's, these are my needs and they're more important than yours. All the way on the other extreme, though, is a passive, non-communicative kind of style. And that sometimes looks passive-aggressive, but it's basically saying your needs are more important than mine. What I try to train my clients around and what I encourage people to do is shoot for the, the magic middle, which is healthy entitlement. I like that. Yeah. You know, my needs are just as important as yours. And that's what a great client, you know, supplier relationship looks like. And I would argue employee-employer you know, and many other kinds of contracts that my needs are just as important as yours. So that's something that really was a game-changing shift for me as a person, but also is a shift that, um, you know, people who don't like to pound their chest and be scary and aggressive, they can embrace. And there's one point you made, I think, which which stuck with me for a good 24 hours, and it's that what COVID has done to some extent is it's changed not just how we negotiate, but what we negotiate, because now there are all kinds of um, 
modifications to the client-provider relationship in the sense that we might find ourselves being asked to work out of normal office hours because we're not on site or change the the modus or or method of delivery of a program when we have stipulated something else. So one point you made to me was that actually there's more to negotiate now in this new dynamic, this new world. Yeah, that's very true. And I think some of those things we can't even um, predict, uh, you know, what they might look like uh, three months from now or six months from now in how they might change. But to me, that's all the more reason to fall back on that healthy entitlement and to be very clear yourself, you know, on um, what's key to the way work gets done for you. What's really important to you? What What do your values look like in action when you're partnering yeah, with a client? Yeah, I like that. That sounds great. You know, if you don't have a read on that, I, I promise it's going to be impossible for anyone else to respect whatever those values are. So it's really on us, you know, to articulate them, to get clear on them. And I guess this is the material which you deal with in your book, Pushback, how smart women ask and stand up for what they want. Um, and it's it's having, as you said, boundary statements. It's knowing, you know, or boundaries full stop, which is this is what I stand for. This is what I will say yes to. This is what I will not say yes to. This is what I will expect of myself and of others. And then you talked about this thing I like called power levelers. So a moment ago, we touched upon the point where people might feel, you know, they have the power. Um and I'm now feeling more passive and they're feeling aggressive or assertive. What what techniques can we use to level this relationship? So we are, as your book alludes to, which is to stand up for what we want and and to, to have a, an equal relationship where we're respected and they respect us. Yeah, that's such an important question. One of the shifts that has been huge for me and has helped others is negotiate with the person, not the power. I once remember negotiating a deal with this Fortune 500 company, and I could not, Mark, get over my intimidation. You know, and I finally said to myself, wait a minute, I'm not negotiating with the 45-person legal team at the largest power company <laughs> in the U.S., right? I need to stop thinking that way. Yeah. I'm negotiating with an individual there, Melissa. And boy, does that change and level some of the power. She's a person. I can do this. <laughs> I can have a conversation that ends in agreement, which is basically what this is. Um, and so that's important. Maybe you're not an entrepreneur. Maybe you're in the corporate world. Same thing if you're negotiating, pitching an exciting program to the top SVP take it down a notch. You're not negotiating with the power, but with the person. You know, how can you really take some time, by the way, to step into their shoes and think about what's important to them? That's a great way to level some of the power. Um, you've taken the time to really think about a, a model I love to use called GPS. You thought about their goals, their passions, and their struggles. 
And that's a, an, ex, you know, because we've talked about self-advocacy with, with some negatives, like what do we do when there's a disagreement with the client or scope creep? But sometimes we're advocating for something exciting and new and wonderful, you know, a, a new idea, um, a, a role change, um, a partnership. So there are also times where we want to be able to influence that other person. And I love GPS for that purpose. When you're making a bold request or proposal, really take the time to say, how could this further their goal, alleviate a struggle, or you know, help advance a passion I know is important to them? It's, it's amazing how that changes the conversation from me, 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 how can I get to we. Right. So it, we're thinking about, um, I think someone said once to me, that's uh, what's called um, integrative bargaining. So we're thinking about what the other side wants and why they want it, not just what's on the table. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the view and, and what's the feeling behind that person's demands? That's exactly right. Yes. Yes. And it works. <laughs> so one of the things um, on the write-up about your book was that you you pointed out that women initiate negotiations four times less often than men, resulting in them getting less of what they want and deserve. And I guess if we're consultants, if we're facilitators, if we're working in L&D as employees um, and we're, we're contracting with other parts of the organization, um, that's something to keep in mind is that is is the is the gender tendency perhaps for people not to to push back and say can't have this now you can't have it this way or we can do this but this is definitely phase two what was the thinking behind your writing on that uh, particular point where you can help women to hone their negotiation skills and techniques specifically based upon that fact that very often women don't feel comfortable initiating and I'm thinking of this because many of the listeners are women and. Um, that's something that I've seen myself is that men often find it easier to thinking of Amy Cuddy's work to assert themselves, to take up space, to bring all kinds of subconscious things to bear. How can someone listening to this thinking of that, that, you know, as you alluded to as well, being conscious that perhaps physically different in stature or feeling less powerful, how can we help our, 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 our female listeners to hone in on those natural negotiation skills and techniques? Yeah, you know, and I, it's important to me to qualify that, that research from Linda Babcock that women negotiate four times less often with the fact that women are excellent negotiators when yes. they do okay, negotiate. Let's <laughs> yeah. and that, yes, okay, let's do that. Yes, and that, listen, there's documented research as well that shows there's blowback that they can sometimes receive when they do ask for what they want. So, it's it's um, kind of a more complex picture than even just uh, behavior or motivation alone to negotiate. Um, and I think that's important we recognize because um, lots of stereotype research shows that we tend to ding the genders, we tend to um, punish them when they act out of stereotype. For women, that's being helpful and communal, nice. For men, it tends to be that they're expected to be agentic, independent, ambitious. So when a man acts out of stereotype, they tend to receive uh, some pushback from that as well. And so I think negotiating at its core 
isn't always about being nice and communal and helpful. I know that was a a huge struggle for me in learning this skill and really embracing it. What I'd say to women is you do this every day. (laughs) You uh, deserve to give yourself credit for the many ways you already negotiate. You already manage um, fires that you're putting out. You uh, get agreement between different groups and parties My goal when I train women is to help them be even more strategic about using those skills and to do it even more often. Because what we know from the research is women are extremely fierce advocates for other people, but they tend to hesitate more negotiating on their own behalf. So that's an important pivot to make. How can you bring that same ferocious self-advocacy that you bring to your patients, clients, customers, internal stakeholders to those areas that benefit you and your career? And those, those topics are throughout the book, and you've written several books. How did writing your book help your brand? If we just go commercial for a second, just you know, people again listening to this thinking, it's about time I wrote a book. What did writing a book, that book, help or do for your brand, Selena Rizvani? <laughs> so much, so much. I, I can't uh, say it enough. And so I often am the person when I meet people uh, who they share an idea with me, I'm like, you should write a book. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, very few people do in those conversations or follow up. So I'd say my first piece of advice for anyone listening is, don't tell yourself no before they do. Okay. If you have a message that you feel people need to hear, um, seriously think about it. You know, in my case, uh, I was the customer, you know, that I was pitching to in many ways. I was an ambitious woman who was so hungry, starving to learn from top women executives who'd made it to the highest echelons of business. But guess what? I didn't know a single one, and I had zero connections to any C-level woman. Um, And that's what drove me to write my books, is they offered me an opportunity to interview these magical unicorns that (laughs) I I had no opportunity (laughs) to meet. And guess what? Those interviews were life-changing. And I thought, I'm not that unique. Other women could benefit from these messages. And then I pitched it to a publisher and they said yes. And there we were. And then led to a second book uh, with a larger publisher. So it's been a huge door opener. I can't uh, say that enough. It's opened the door to companies um, that I've been very excited to, to speak to their audiences, some of the brightest minds in business and universities and colleges, um, conferences, and and having a timely, relevant book on an issue that matters opens doors. Yeah, it's a platform, isn't it? It's a launch pad, I guess. It is. It is. Both practically speaking, it's a vehicle to get out your message, but it's also Um, You know, when you look at any conference, what do they want to promote? Brand new books, you know, that that feel really fresh and new. So, um, you know, I would say 
realize there's going to be an exciting book out there at a conference, why shouldn't it be yours? And is that what then led to you being or positioning yourself as a LinkedIn course author? Because I've looked at LinkedIn Learning. I'm I'm a paid member of, of LinkedIn. And uh, you've got five courses, and that that's no small feat. And, and they're fabulously, fabulously produced. How, is that uh, what led you to becoming uh, or acceptable uh, or even to brought to the attention of people who make decisions? Because not everyone gets to be a LinkedIn course author. Yes, it's been wonderful. It has been a, a, an incredible platform to grow my community, my digital community, um, my followership on LinkedIn, to have a, a kind of experimental laboratory, honestly, to test ideas. I write a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn and just the opportunity there to test new theories and concepts and see what people gravitate to has been wonderful. And, and I'm really grateful that the courses um, only put a you know an amplifier. Um, to some of my messages and leadership development work. So it's been a like nothing but a wonderful experience. And I think you said when we spoke that um, you had X number of followers before your LinkedIn courses, and that exploded dramatically once you had courses online and people were interacting with your content. Yes, it was um, 1,800 in 2018 to 18,000 plus wow. today. Good grief. And <laughs> yes, and it's it's truly one of the most supportive, encouraging communities. So if you haven't uh, put time investment into your own, I would strongly encourage you to. There are people listening, waiting, interested, hungry for content and, and to hear your take. Um, so especially in the world of L&D. So I would encourage folks to not wait till it feels perfect, but just do it. And we don't necessarily have to have courses on LinkedIn learning. I mean, that's the, you could say the gold standard, but we could get content out there in terms of online courses, which you can use a load of platforms for, and you never know whether that leads as an entree or gets you in the door of platforms like LinkedIn Learning. Um, just a final question then for me, Selena. W- what is the next step then for selenarizvani.com for your brand? What's around the corner in 22? Give us a preview. <laughs> yes. Well, I, you know, I'm a big believer in options and choices, um, you know, and giving yourself flexion as, as an entrepreneur. And so for me, the next step is diversifying. It's really, uh, you know, I don't think any of us know what the news headlines are going to look like in the remainder of 2021, but how can you, you know, really thrive in the face of that? For me, it's diversifying and really doing some new things with digital products. Um, that, and I'm, uh, just around the corner of conversations on my third book. Oh, so congratulations. That's another, yeah, form, I think, of reinvention, which I'm excited about. Okay, brilliant. Where can people find out more about you and your brand? Well, please come to my website and say hello. Uh, drop me a line, selenaresvani.com, and connect with me on social channels. I'm on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and I'd love to hear from you. So don't be shy. Okay. Selena, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show this afternoon. Thank you, Mark. Be well. 
thanks for your time today and a big thank you to Selena for being our guest today on the show. And I appreciate the fact that there are many podcasts out there. You've chosen to listen to this one. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. Can I ask you one small favor, which is to click on subscribe? Because that costs you nothing. It takes a couple of seconds, but it means the world to me because it validates what we do every single week. Whether it's James or Sam helping me on the team with the podcast and the artwork, uh, it means something to us to know that what we're doing is of value to you. Please keep those emails coming, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I'd love to hear from you about your suggestions for what the website trainingbusiness.com can do for you and your facilitation or your coaching and training business. Or maybe you've just got some suggestions as to the kinds of topics or guests that we could have on the show. If you feel like writing an article to highlight your particular skill, uh, please join the line of people submitting articles and you'll find those on www.trainingbusiness.com forward slash blog. I do welcome self-promotion. I really do. Uh, I think that uh, one of the things that you and I can do as people who help other people is to signal how we can help other people. And for that reason, the blog is very much your platform to communicate to the world what it is you do, whether it's resilience or mental health or leadership or sales or marketing training or any of those things in the sphere of coaching, facilitation, consultancy, human development and training. All of those, uh, I, I assure you, will find an audience. And I'd love to hear from you with regards to your suggestion for the kinds of content, written content, that would resonate with people like you and me, people in our shoes. And on the website, the very bottom of that page, on the main page, you'll find a link which is right for us. So if you go along to trainingbusiness.com and you look for the link at the bottom, which is right for us, you'll find I've written some details there to explain what articles look like or could look like. And you can drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com to perhaps give me a, a structure of the kind of article that you feel would be of use to people just like you and me. And finally, you can check out the blog because that gives you an idea of the kinds of content that uh, work very well. So whatever that field is for you, I'd love to hear from you. If you've got paid clients, direct clients, indirect clients, I'm sure there's some kind of content that you could share with them. And the great place to do that is, of course, here on the trainingbusiness.com website, trainingbusiness.com forward slash blog. Now, there is a fresh episode next Thursday, as there is every single week. Until then, please look after yourself and loved ones. Take care. Keep on selling and training. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.